Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. It's a great honor to be bringing you the message this morning. I wanted to share just a minute a personal privilege that why is the choir director facing you and preaching this morning? And, I, and I'll just tell you that I've had a, a feeling of a, to move deeper into ministry for several years now, and some of you all have encouraged me. I won't name names, but Ed Adair uh, is one. <laughs> and uh, others uh, have, have, you have encouraged me, and some people from outside the church. And I sort of believe if you feel like you have a calling you can't be the only one who knows that. You know, you have to share that and, and get other people to say, yeah, I think maybe that's true. So I finally uh, felt urgent enough to go and talk to Pastor Michelle about it uh, recently. And I was afraid she was going to say, I was actually very nervous. I thought she was going to say, no, Ray, there's a reason we want you to turn your back on the congregation most Sundays. But she didn't. She was very, uh, she was very supportive, which I appreciated. Of course, the next time I saw her, she said, oh, uh, yeah, Ray, you need to read this book, and you need to read this book, and here's another book. So I got a lot of homework right off the bat. So that was good. She asked me in that first meeting, have you ever preached a sermon? And I said, yes, one time. Uh, I've given a lot of presentations and lectures and whatnot, but I've only preached one sermon, and I was about seventh grade, seventh or eighth grade. And where I grew up in my home church, uh, I, I grew up in Duncan, Oklahoma, South Central Oklahoma. There's a lot of wheelers, and a lot of those wheelers are preachers. I have uncles and great uncles and cousins and two grandparents and a great-grandfather, all who were preachers. So people, it's kind of the family business. People said, oh, well, Ray's probably going to be a preacher. So my home pastor came to me and said, why don't you give a sermon on a Wednesday night? We had midweek services that were kind of uh, informal, not not uh, too much pressure. So I wrote about a 10-minute sermon, and I memorized it because when I was growing up, I never saw preachers carry any notes. So I thought, that's what you're supposed to do. So I memorized this 10-minute sermon, and we get to the service, and they sing, and I'm getting nervous, and then they take up an offering. I'm getting more nervous, and then my pastor gives me this great introduction, and I go into the pulpit, and I cannot remember anything I've written. I couldn't even remember what subject I was going to speak on. I couldn't fake it. So I kind of hem-hawed and was nervous, and then finally I blurted out, you shouldn't have taken up an offering until after I preached. And, and the congregation chuckled, and that kind of broke my uh, spell, I guess, and I was able to find that first uh, thing I was going to say, and I sort of stumbled through. I think today will be better because I've been practicing preaching to the choir for many years now. They're probably happy. <laughs> they're, they're probably happy that I have another outlet so that they don't have to bear the burden of this. So this morning, I wanted to just reflect for a few minutes on a passage of Scripture from Mark. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41. I invite you to listen for the Word of God present in the Holy Scripture. Later that day, when evening came, Jesus said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. They left the crowd and took him in the boat just as he was. 
other boats followed along. Gale force winds arose and waves crashed against the boat so that the boat was swamped, but Jesus was in the rear of the boat sleeping on a pillow. They woke him up and said, teacher, don't you care that we're drowning? He got up and gave orders to the wind and he said to the lake, silence, be still. The wind settled down and there was a great calm and Jesus asked them, why are you frightened? Don't you have faith yet? Overcome with awe, they said to each other, Who then is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Please join me for a word of prayer. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I've always thought this was kind of an odd story. It's, it must be an important story because it's in a version of this story. is in every synoptic gospel. I like Mark's telling because he gives us some details that the other stories don't give us. For one thing, there was more that it was like a little armada of boats. There were several boats that went across. We don't know that from the other stories. For context, I just wanted to take a minute and talk about what Christ was doing up to this point, up to the time he said, let's go across. Christ has, as as many of you know, you've been reading the Bible, you know that in Mark, things happen quickly, and Christ is into his ministry early, and he's preaching and teaching and healing full tilt boogie before they get into this boat. He is really busy. You hear a lot of miracles. He cleanses a lot of skin diseases and withered hands are healed. And, and, the, and Mark actually says when people heard Jesus was going to be somewhere, they picked up and carried all the sick people to him and all of these people were healed. Anyone who caught close to Christ and touched him or whom he touched, they were healed. So a lot of grace is going out here. And the other thing he's been doing, Mark uh, comments on the fact that he's been casting out unclean spirits. And invariably, when a person afflicted with an unclean spirit confronts Christ, they fall on their face and cry out, you are the Holy One of God. So we presume that during all these miracles and all this preaching and teaching and all the casting out of unclean spirits, the disciples have been right along with Christ. They've heard this, they've seen this, they've witnessed it. Just before Christ says, let's go across the sea, he's been teaching a very large crowd. In fact, that's the story where he says, hey, put me in a boat and let's go out a little ways and I'll teach these people so they won't crush us. It's a big enthusiastic crowd and he's taught all day long in parables. So one of the interesting details in Mark is he says, We took Jesus just as he was. And in all my research, I couldn't find out what that meant. But I think what it means is Jesus is tired. He's exhausted. He's been preaching. He's been teaching. I have a friend who uh, grew up, a, a minister friend who grew up outside of Boonville. If you grow up outside of Boonville, you're in the country, right? And She grew up with a granny, and she has a lot of old country sayings, which I love and collect. And one of them that she says that I've never heard before is, I am war smooth out. Has anybody heard I am war smooth out? Oh, there we go, yeah. So I think that Jesus 
when they say we took him just as he was, Jesus was wore smooth out. So you know the story. They get in the boat, and Jesus goes to the back of the boat, the stern of the boat, lays down on a cushion, and falls asleep. And, of course, Mark gives a really vivid picture of this storm. You know, gale force winds, waves are crashing into the little boat, and the boat's being swamped, and the, the disciples are bailing for their lives. They, they're fearing for their lives. And we know a little something about that boat because in 1986, around the Sea of Galilee, there was a terrible drought. So the Sea of Galilee is a really large inland lake. Well, it's about 64 square miles. So it's, you know, it qualifies as a sea, but it's really just an inland lake. And during that drought, the shorelines contracted. And in the mud, there was some sticks and some things poking up, and they excavated that. And they found a boat. It's called the Boat of Galilee. I think we have a picture of that. Do we have that picture of the boat? There it is. Somehow, um, because of, I don't understand some sort of scientific thing about the that climate, it preserved it, but it, it was carbon dated back to the lifetime of Jesus. So sometimes this boat is referred to as the Jesus boat, but of course there's no evidence that this is the boat, but it's like the boat. And so we know the sort of dimensions roughly. And so it's about uh, 27 feet long and uh, just after VBS one day, Miss Allison came in with me and helped me, and we measured this chancel area, the, the raised part from corner to corner is about 28 inches. So, I mean, sorry, 28 feet, excuse me, 28 feet. So if you take a foot off this, that's the length of the boat. It's about seven and a half feet wide, which from the edge to here is about seven and a half feet, and it's about four feet tall. So it's not a dinghy. Uh, or, a, or a rowboat, but it's not a yacht. And I've always thought, it's a little funny that Jesus can sleep in this storm. I have this really vivid memory of when I learned about this story as a small boy in Sunday school. I, I have a memory of this picture, and I don't know, I think it was a picture I was given to color, like, uh, like you do, or I, it was something from my, my Sunday school book. But it's a, you know, it's a beautiful picture, so they're the waves are crashing in. The boat is being swamped, and that's what Mark says. Water's coming in. The disciples are bailing, and in the back is Jesus sleeping on a golden pillow. I, I think it was a coloring sheet. I think I made the pillow gold because I assumed that Jesus would be sleeping on a golden pillow, but that's, he's in the back. And even as a child, I remember thinking, Man, how sound a sleeper is Jesus? He's sleeping in this storm. The boat's rocking. The, the boat's swamped. Is he sloshing around in the water in there and still sleeping? So as a child, I remember thinking very clearly, Jesus must not really be asleep. He's, he's faking it. He's wanting to teach the disciples a lesson, or he's wanting to teach us something, but he's just, he's just faking it. But now, as I read this story, and have lived with it and studied it as a more mature Christian. I believe that this story is important, and it's in all the Gospels because it's revealing the nature of Christ. Christ, we know, we believe Christ is fully human. And the fully human Jesus was exhausted and fell asleep, and he was able to sleep in the storm. But then when the disciples turn around and say, Lord, do you care that we're perishing 
It is not, it is not the human Jesus that stands up and commands the storm. It's the divine Christ. So we see that contrast in this story. Um, so when Jesus stands up, there's a couple of things I found out from studying this. The translation is a little smoothed over here. It's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of sanitized for us, I guess. So when Jesus stands up, I always kind of thought, you know, I've heard those sermons where he said, Jesus says, peace be still, and I kind of imagined the hippie Jesus standing up and going, peace, peace, everybody. This was not the Jesus that stood up. What stood up was the divine member of the Christ head, the divine member of the Godhead, the creator God, and he commands the storm. In the Greek, he used the same word that he used to cast out demons. He bound the storm. One translator translated it, that he shouts at the storm, be muzzled and stay muzzled. It's a powerful, powerful divine moment. And the other thing that's kind of smoothed over, you know, you always get this translation, oh, the disciples are filled with awe. And they say, who is this? The better translation of that in the Greek is they were scared spitless. They were scared to death. And one commentator says they were more afraid of what happened to Jesus calming the storm than they were for their lives when they were bailing and the waves were crashing over. But I want to go back. I think the important moment in this story is when the disciples are panicked and they're buffeted and they've been doing all they can do and they finally turn in exasperation and say, Jesus, do you care that we die? And I really am familiar with that feeling lately. I have to tell you, I feel often buffeted and and in a storm with what's going on in our world. Do you all feel that way? Some of you all feel that way. I know some of you do. You've talked to me about it. Some of you online who are worshiping with us online. I feel this way when I hear about a number of school shootings we've had where innocent children are shot and killed, and that buffets me. It makes me feel panicky and afraid. I feel that way when I see those brutal pictures of the war in Ukraine. Those folks who are just like us, just going about their business, and they're in this hellish landscape now. And it's brutal, and it just it buffets me. I, I feel out of control. And um, even our conversation around politics, we're kind of, do you all think we're kind of in a cold civil war right now. We're, we're battling in our words. And that's one of the things that came out of our four questions that Michelle's been doing. We want things to be kinder. We feel buffeted. We feel in the storm. I, I'm going to admit to you, my wife will testify that this is true. I am a certified news junkie. I, I really watch news nonstop, or I used to. I don't feel like I can do that anymore. It, it troubles me too much. Now I listen, to, uh, I listen to children's books on audio a lot because I'm, I'm more calm, you know. I saw a picture, a cartoon rather, uh, that really brought this home to me. It was a picture of an old-fashioned uh, paper boy. You know, he's got a flat, flat hat and the knickers, and he's waving the paper around. And he says, extra, extra, read all about it. Something new to make you feel desperately afraid. And I went, oh, I know that feeling. 
A few months ago, after one of the terrible things that have happened, and honestly, I can't remember exactly which terrible thing it was, I was talking to a good friend, someone I love and look up to, and my friend said, I sometimes think that God is just tired of us. God has turned away from us. And I resonated with that moment. I, I resonated with that feeling of, of, of anxiety and frustration and feeling forsaken. The great theologian Alfred North Whitehead articulates this in uh, his work, Religion in the Making. And Whitehead says, The great religious conceptions about which haunt the imagination are scenes of aloneness. Jesus in the desert, the solitary Christ on the cross. It belongs to the depths of religious spirit to have felt forsaken even by God. When I am in the middle of a storm and I'm bailing like a madman, I may not feel the presence of God very strongly, but I think the message of this story, even if you don't feel the presence of the Spirit of the divine strongly, what Jesus is trying to say when he says, why are you afraid? Why don't you have faith? I think Jesus is saying, hey, I'm in your boat. I'm here with you. I know I'm asleep. I'm human, I've gone through what you go through, but I rise as the divine and I'm walking with you. This idea reminds me of my favorite, one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 138, I'm sorry, Psalm 139, verse 7 and 8, where the psalmist says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. I like to believe that in this story, in the same way as this passage the psalmist has given us, Jesus is conveying that same message to say there is no way to hide from my love and presence. There is nothing you can go through that I haven't been through before. There's nowhere you can go that I'm not there because I've been there. If you go to heaven, the heavens, I've been there. I'm there. If you throw your bedroll down in hell... You roll over, I'm there because I've been there. There will be times when we're going to feel forsaken. And there will be times when you will feel forsaken because I think that's what it means to be human. It's part of who we are. And sometimes we pile guilt on top of that. I felt very guilty right after I felt that feeling, that strong feeling of being forsaken. But you need to know that when you cry out as the disciples did, Teacher, do you care that we perish? You will find Christ with you, walking with you through the storms of life. If you cry out to the risen Christ, you will discover that Christ is right beside you. Beloved, I know that we feel buffeted, and sometimes when we're bailing and trying to stay afloat, we feel alone. But Christ has made a promise he will never leave you, never forsake you. Christ, the Holy One of God, the risen victorious Savior, is in your boat. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo 
at FUMC Bentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.